last week, we talked about the adage, see one, do one, teach one. I see a couple of you remember it. This is an approach through which people in the medical community learn new skills and transition from being a regular person to a surgeon or a nurse or a midwife. We also talked about how the entire Gospel of Matthew is an extended example of see one, do one, teach one. Today's Gospel is precisely that do one moment. The disciples have witnessed Jesus living into God's kingdom, and now it's their turn. Jesus looks out on the world, and he sees people who are suffering. People who are lost. People who are in need of hope and guidance. Sheep without a shepherd. But instead of turning to despair, Jesus gives us this little nugget of a phrase. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Verses like this are so familiar that they can be hard to hear. Sometimes a verse like this comes up in the lectionary and it sounds like the teachers from the Peanuts cartoons. I too know, like many of you might have when they read the, the list of the disciples this morning or when genealogies come up in the lectionary. It's okay, you're not the only one. But these things are in there for a reason. These verses get repeated for a reason. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. These, maybe you hear this and you feel a little guilty. Like we are not enough to get the job done. We are inadequate workers. We hear it through the ears of scarcity. In fact, this passage is telling us the exact opposite. The passage is telling us about abundance. The harvest is plentiful. Look how much need there are. Look at all the good work you can do. If you are worried that you can't change the world, that you don't matter, or maybe that the work of the church isn't important, think again. The harvest plentiful. There's plenty for us to do, and in case you missed it, come and see all the good that you can do. Last fall, when we moved into our house here in Santa Barbara, we did some work on our backyard. Uh, we had to get rid of an old orange tree and some bushes, and then in the corner of the yard, there's an old plum tree. The tree was like a little overgrown, so we trimmed it back a bit. And then in the fall, as trees do, it lost all its leaves. And all winter, I looked at this tree wondering if we were going to get any fruit from it. I watched as flowers bloomed, first one tiny little blossom, and then the whole tree covered with flowers, with blossoms. 
that I watched carefully as the fruit started to form. It's an incredible process. Those of you who have trees have maybe watched it with a similar anxiety or attention. Of course, watched plums never ripen. (laughs) One day I went out there and a single green plum had turned red. I plucked it. I took a big bite and I sent a picture to Mary Beth (laughs) with deep satisfaction. (laughs) Within days, the whole tree was covered in fruit, covered in red fruit. And suddenly there were more plums that we could possibly eat. And now fruit is falling everywhere. We can't keep up. We have to try to get it, give it away. We're trying to make jam. The birds, the squirrels, the rabbits, all sorts of critter, critters have gathered around the tree. But there is so much fruit that we can't keep up. Much of it will go uneaten. Most of it will go to seed. That is what the kingdom of God is like. That is what the good work of God is like. Abundance. It will never run out. There will always be a need to spread God's love in the world, to tend to the sick, to feed the hungry, to give hope to those who are hopeless. Maybe that sounds tiring to many of you who have spent your lives in this work. Fortunately, there's a stream, a river, if you will, a well of inspiration that never runs out. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't need rest. We need rest. A little summer break is good for everyone. But I am saying that the stream of God's love never dries up. God reminds us that there is always enough. We are always enough. We are smart enough, strong enough. We have enough, whether we have few material resources, or we have many resources. This is a universal tenet of all religious traditions. Maybe you've seen it in the little house. We have a calendar that follows the Tao Te Ching. And this month it quotes from chapter 33. Those who know they have enough are rich. Those who know they have enough are rich. So what does that mean for the marginalized? What does it mean for those who have been repeatedly forced into a perspective of scarcity or learned helplessness? What about those who feel like they give so much that it is tiring to think of the work being never-ending? In fact, modern feminist theology was born out of discussion of the meaning of endless sacrifice and perspective of scarcity. Valerie Saving Goldstein argued that women gave up too much and Christian theology was being irresponsible in giving them a model of agape love that asked them to sacrifice even more of themselves. But more contemporary feminist theologians like Melissa Browning remind us of the importance of abundance. She writes, when we find ourselves in spaces of abundance, where our gifts are valued and our voices are welcomed, when we live and breathe in places where our sacrifice is 
will be received with mutuality, then we can take this abundance and consider what sacrifice we might make to create a more just world. When we live into abundance, we are transformed. The world around us is transformed. It is from this state of having enough that we learn to love our neighbors through the simple act of hospitality. It is out of abundance that Abraham greets the divine visitors. Abraham takes what he has and he offers it to folks who are just passing by. In this way, Abraham's sense of abundance leads to response of abundance. It is from this moment that he is blessed to become Father Abraham. A hundred years old when his son is born. He's lived two lifetimes for people of that age. Maybe three for those folks. That abundance transforms the impossible. Abraham and Sarah are old. Old, old. They aren't just people who beat the fertility odds. The passage reads, it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. That is, she is post-menopausal, and Abraham is no longer sexually active. My husband is old, yet shall I have pleasure. This is a sexual reference. With regard to reproduction, they are a lost cause. Their hopes of having a child are dead and buried. So much so that Sarah laughs at the idea of having a child. Biblical scholar Rolf Jacobson points out the importance of this laugh. He says, God turns the painful laughter of despair into the joyful laughter of Easter. Abundance. Where there are no options left, God's abundance goes to work to inspire and transform the world. So, it's Father's Day, a day we celebrate all those men who have been father figures to us, and I know there's a lot of baggage that can come along with that. Not all biological fathers are the greatest of parents. There are plenty of fathers who are absent, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. One in three kids in the United States live without their father. Lives without their father. And with the patriarchy that runs so deep in our culture, it can be hard not to conflate that with our understanding of God, especially in a tradition that refers to the divine as Father. As you go into the greeting card stores and whatnot for Father's Day, it's kind of ridiculous what you see on the cards. There are lots of like barbecues and there's beer and you know, like sports. 
Is that what fathers are? Is that the way we celebrate fathers? Where are the pictures of the dads with their kids? Maybe a dad changing a diaper or two. Does that ever happen? I don't know. Popular depictions of men aren't great. As we've seen in the political stage of late, there's no shortage of men controlling things, depicted as controlling. But there is a shortage of men loving. And that is why passages like we read today are so important. We remember that being a father is born of hospitality, born of love, of concern for those around us. Being a father means that we take what little we have and share it. We pass it on. We nurture those around us. We care. Being a father is not about receiving. It's about giving. And we give from abundance. As both the Old Testament and gospel readings today remind us, living into abundance requires and inspires living with less. You've received without payment. Give without payment. You don't have to worry about there being enough. We give to our children, be they biological or metaphorical. We give our love freely. We cultivate the intrinsic worth of God's children and remind them that they are enough. They have enough. They are children of God, that we love them and God loves them. And that is enough. Amen. Amen.